What can you do to improve your writing and build your network as a part of it? As a creative and professional writer, my time post-college graduation was just that. Difficult to keep an upward learning curve that honed my craft and connected me with others in the field. So today, join me on a quest to connect writers to the experiences they need with top authors, editors, and publishers ready to share their methods for success. Become a part of a new elevated selection for publishers and debunk the myth that while writing is a solo act, being a writer is not always solitary. Am I right? Hey there, wordsmiths! Welcome back to another episode of Am I Right? And I just have to say, I feel that we've already gotten a plethora of resources and top-level advice from some writers and publishers that have come on just in the past weeks. Um, And this show is still pretty new, so I'm really excited. Uh, There's no exception to today's guest. We've got someone that you need to get your pens ready for, um, Joan Donaldson. She's author of historical fiction, essays, picture books. She's a multiple award winner. Um, And something of note in her bio, she lives in her organic blueberry farm with her husband, which sounds like a picturesque book setting in itself, and I'm sure is great for the writing creatively. So um, without further ado, I just want to welcome you onto the show, and um, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience today? Certainly. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I, as it says, I write from my blueberry farm, which is on the shores of Lake Michigan, over on the Michigan coast side, not on the Wisconsin side. And we've been in organic farms since 1977. So we've been around for a while. And then actually John's grandfather started the original farm in 1937. So um, there's a lot to write about being a farmer. And I tend to use that topic a great deal as either a metaphor or as a subject matter, depending on what I'm writing. And as we were talking before, I've written several picture books. Um, the first one was illustrated by Tasha Tudor, which was quite an amazing feat to be illustrating, having someone who was such a famous illustrator choose to illustrate my story. And then I've written a couple of YA novels for um, Holiday House. And one of those, On Vinies Mountain, I never even knew about. It won an award, but the Friends of American Writers Award in I about fell out of my chair when I saw people like Kate Dieter Chameleon won this award and Tony Morrison. And I was winning it for the YA section. And then like Wendell Berry. And I'm like, these are amazing writers. And I'm in this category now, which is not mm-hmm. true. But anyways, my name was associated with them, which was something. And then that book on Vinies Mountain was chosen by the state of Tennessee to represent the state at the 2010 National Book Festival which is wow. sponsored by the, the Library of Congress. And that was an amazing moment to be walking down the mall and go to this booth and there's my book. You know, I mean, I just never dreamed anything like that would ever happen. So th- that was pretty amazing. And it's one of those moments where, I mean, there's lots of dark moments as an author where like you're rejected over and over and over. In fact, that book I almost put in the recycling box. And then I said, no, let's keep working. And that's what sent me off to Spalding for my MFA, which was an incredible program that I'm extremely grateful for. And I took four years because I'm a farmer, so I couldn't go to the spring term. And they were willing to work with me like that, which I really was appreciative of that, too. Uh, And yes, I've written essays for the Christian Science Monitor and other magazines and for our local public radio station and Michigan Public Radio, I've worked with them writing essays that are turned into podcasts. So and that was um, another like little avenue to learn more about as far as how do you write for radio. 
and I appreciated what I learned from those editors. So I write. I write whatever God puts in my mind, basically, and then I keep on writing some more. She dabbles in it all. She writes in it all. That's amazing. That's something that I think a lot of writers uh, wish they had that skill, that, that ability to so easily jump over and just try something new in another genre and and just be creative. And um, so definitely an admirable quality in a in a writer. Oh, thank you. Um, and speaking of something that you uh, brought up there, um, I just want to know what made you decide to, you know, did you start with one genre and then decide, oh, maybe I could be good for this? Or was it more how life took you? What made you decide to dabble in totally different genres? Um, you did mention listen to the story um, before we were on air. Right. I and I agree. That. I still say that, that you have to look at it. Um, stories are conflicts, right? They're around people or animals, which are like a character and a conflict. And you look at the conflict, is this a major conflict that's going to need a novel to resolve the conflict? Mm -hmm. Or is this a story with a small conflict? I mean, even a picture book, it can be a pretty big conflict, but it's not going to be the same kind of multi-layered conflict that you would have in a novel. And essays, again, it's, there's a conflict and they could even be a couple of things twining together, but you're going to resolve it, at least the ones that I write in five or six words. Mm. So I look at the conflict and how much can I develop this basically? And sometimes you, like right now I'm working on a novella and the shorts, I wrote it first as a short story. It's based on a true incident. And that short story won an award. And I thought, well, you know, maybe someday I should develop this further and turn it into a novella. I didn't think I could ever do a full novel. And that's what I've been doing. It's like I'm finally sort of playing around with it and finding the depth of character that you can promote and meeting the, the regular other characters in depth too and putting it all together in a, in a more involved story and complex story. So listen to the story. The story has to tell you. So that's what's led you to different genres. You had an idea? Really? Yeah. And then yeah. also I like to read them. I mean, for years I've read personal essays because I think they're so much fun to read and especially in the nature genre. So I was like, well, I think I could write something like that. And I will admit, it took me seven years to have something published in the Christian Science Monitor. It was very difficult getting in. Um, the editor there was quite encouraging, though. He kept saying, try again. I like what you're writing. This one doesn't quite make it. Which and for it, writers I, is like a, an award in itself. <laughs> try again. Try again. We call that a champagne rejection. So, you know, I... If you enjoy reading a genre, why shouldn't you try to write it? You might not succeed, but you'll learn an awful lot in mm. whatever you're doing. And I think that's something to keep in mind that yeah. not everything you write is going to be published, but everything you write will teach you something. And I think sometimes that that overwhelms the reason that we write. It's well, if this is not going to be publishable, then I'm just wasting my time. But you overlook all of the things that you learn and the the hours that you put into becoming a better writer just right. from trying and failing and trying and failing mm -hmm. again I've definitely learned a lot from that I guess model <laughs> of yeah. writing so yeah it is something that's a great we always have a good plat quote on the show and that's a great one listen to the story I'll put it up on my wall for the week listen to the story talk to your characters <laughs> not to your characters that's awesome. Um, another thing that we that we had talked about a little bit off air is um, about image and idea. 
Um, right. And I know this is attached to Burbs, but we'll get to that in a second. I would love to talk okay. about um, Charles Johnson um, and their concept that you have mentioned. What What's your thoughts on Imogen Idea? Well, I've, I realized I was already doing that to a certain degree, but I read the book by Charles Johnson and he won a National Book Award, I think it's for his book about um, the slave ship, Middle Passage. This in the, His book is called The Way of the Writer. And then I heard him speak at the Mayborn Literary and Fiction Conference that I was part of for quite a few years. And he brought up that, that every sentence is going to create an image that out of that image flows an idea. So if you, know, if you say someone trudged up the stairs, there you have an image. They're going up the stairs, but they're trudging up the stairs. We know they're very tired or they're, maybe they're depressed. Something is going on that gives them lead feet. So it just... Something that small is an image and an idea. And that, of course, like we said, it moves over into verbs because the verb there has so much power instead of just saying you walked upstairs. That's mm-hmm. not going to show you the same image as someone who trudges quads or whatever verb you want. And they could also be skipping up the stairs and we have a whole different image mm-hmm. and another idea of what's going on in this person. So that's why he, he kept emphasizing it's a really good craft book. The first Half is a little more about him, and the second half of that book is more about the craft of writing. And I, I mean, I try to read a certain amount of books like that, maybe one a year, just to get some ideas. Every writer has something to teach us, so why not read and learn? And what's the name of the book again? The name Where? of the book, The Way of the Writer, the by the Charles writer. Johnson. I've got to read that. We do have a lot to teach each other, I think. We all do. I'm happy to read more books on craft. <laughs> and that was that's where I found that little tidbit. And I thought, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, just, this is not my own writing, but I really admire the writing of Wiley Cash. And when I was reading his book about um, The Last Ballad, there was an image that he created. <laughs> it's pretty gruesome, but she's going to a union meeting in the back of a pickup and somebody's trying to get to her. And so she smashes his fingers like pine cones. I'm like, oh, wow. I know. Oh, wow. That's right. What an but, image. <laughs> but it does evoke it. It does a really good yes, job. Yeah. It does a really good job. I'm like, oh, this is pretty violent for me, but it's still the image and then the whole idea that she's trying to get away from these people that want to stop her from going to the union meeting. So again, I look for those kinds of things when I'm reading so that I can see how other writers, especially someone that skilled was like Wiley Cash, how they put together a book. And I, I have a tendency and I think a lot of writers do to, to write, to be wordy, to write more words. But I think in most cases, less is more, right? You've got that one strong verb, you've got that Mm -hmm. one image of pine cones. That's what evokes the emotion. It's not all of the fluff in between that we're always working to whittle away, I guess. That's right. Keep on, yeah, trying to scrape it down to get to where you really need to be. Mm. So um, I know you talked a little um, about you almost scrapping a manuscript. And I think we've all felt this at some point with some manuscript and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, There's this pressure to perform. And I think especially with this upcoming generation and the way that things are going with the publishing industry right now and how COVID has affected that, there's kind of a pressure that if you don't publish by a certain time, then it's probably not worth anything and you should just scrap it. Would you have any thoughts or 
um, experiences that you could share that could maybe help those who are feeling that way about their manuscripts that are wondering if they should continue with it? Well, I'm going to first go back to somebody that most people, if they're into children's literature, have read his novels, and that's Jerry Spinelli. And I was um, given a scholarship to go to the Highlights Workshop when I was still at Chautauqua. So I became friends with Jerry and Eileen Spinelli. And I remember Jerry, that Stargirl had just been published the year that I went, or maybe like two years before. But anyways, it had just come out. And he got up there and he said, I started that novel 20 years ago. I thought, oh my goodness. He said, yeah, 20 years ago. And it just wasn't working right. So I take it out every now and then, work on it a little. No, it still isn't right. And then 20 years later, he finally saw how it should work. And this is Jerry Spinelli, you know, already once Newberries. And so <laughs> then, you know, he finished the book that did very well, that became the Disney movie. And then it was a, several years later, almost 10 years later, I think, when he brought um, Love Stargirl on. So, but if Jerry Spinelli needs 20 years, maybe I need 20 years too. You know, I already feel better. <laughs> I feel better about my handful of years. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, and then there's a, a folk singer that I was hearing on NPR yesterday, and Elizabeth Cotton, and she finally started receiving awards for her music, which was like Delta Blues and, and other folksy kinds of things. I remember listening to her in the 60s, but she was 90 when she started earning awards. Think about that. She'd been probably playing music for 70 years before someone really recognized her talent and gave her an award. So you're telling me that life isn't over if I'm not perfectly published That's by right. 30? Oh, wow. What a revelation to us all. <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way anyways. Well, and uh, you never know. I mean, here's another little story. If anybody's read any of Bonnie Jo Campbell, who's one of Michigan's best writers, uh, she and I were moaning back in 2007 that her agent didn't like her manuscript. And I hadn't heard from Holiday House about my new book, you know, whether they were going to take it. And we were mostly, you know, crying on each other's shoulders at a poetry reading. And then within that week, I sold On Viney's Mountain. And that's the one that went to the National Book um, Festival. And within that week, Wayne State Press took Bonnie Joe's. Um, short story collection American Salvage and that went on to be a finalist at the, at the for again for the National Book Award so it's like it's a good thing neither Bonnie and Joe or I gave up we kept on plodding along mm. so you never know ever what's going to happen to your story and that sounds a lot like the hero's journey which is why we write the hero's journey right because it's so relatable right. had your yes. dark night of the soul you're mm -hmm. crying at a poetry meeting and then suddenly things are looking up afterwards are changing I know. Amazing. You can be the hero of your own story. That's a good one for you listeners. Yeah. They're struggling. Hero of your own story. Um, so is there anything that you do to combat negative feelings, whether it's from waiting on an agent to respond to you or just struggling through a day of writer's block? Do you have any um, methods or or um, I guess routines that you do that help you to open up your creativity and feel better about the waiting process. I try not to get too discouraged. I mean, I still do sometimes. I was um, discouraged a little more this earlier this spring. Like I'm not getting anywhere with this story and I've been working on this story for 20 years. I felt like Jerry. Uh, and 
<laughs> but it's like, oh, well, we'll just keep working. I do believe that it helps to have some sort of routine. And for me, it depends on the time of the year. In the winter, I have some things I have to do around my home, but then I try to sit down and write for a couple hours before lunch. So, you know, like I'm writing from nine to 11 and then I go for a long walk. Uh, in the summertime, I have to reverse it because of the heat. And then I'll go out and work on the farm in the morning and then try to find one hour. Just If I can just get one hour, I'm happy to write in the afternoon and then I'll go back to work again. So I just think it really helps um, to have your routine, which, you know, for me is to sit down with my tea and open the computer and get to work. Now, I also think it helps to sometimes not be too hard on yourself because there are days or in circumstances where you're not going to write as much as you want to, or you're like, right now I'm pretty tired because of all the farm work. And so I'm not always getting as much done as I'd like to, but still I sit there for an hour and work and do the best I can. And then I'm always thinking about my stories. I mean, that's the good thing in manual labor. Even when I'm packing blueberries or just something else on the farm, I can think about my story and, you know, cogitate what's going on. It's only really when I manage you pick blueberries where I have to interact with people that my brain has to do something else. And that's something I wanted to make note of actually is the, the physical element, the exercise. I think a lot of us think you have to lock yourself up into a basement somewhere or, you know, cause it is a solitary process. That's right. But <laughs> I have found that breaks are okay and exercising is okay. And in fact, will help increase your creativity. That's right. Yeah, if I have a problem and I can't figure it out, I go for a walk because there are certain like chemicals in your brain that stimulate creativity and problem solving. And I yeah. find, or even if I blustery and blizzardy, I'll just get up and walk around the house until, oh yeah, he could do such and such, couldn't he? Mm. So I think exercise is really important. And um, most of the time, there's usually a cat with me too. I have my literary buddies who hang out in my office. <laughs> your fellow literate cats. Yes, I my, my literary friends. That's awesome. Um, as we're wrapping up here, I just wanted to ask, we have a question that we always ask on the show, and that's, um, it's kind of a broad one, but it seems that successful writers and authors tend to develop um, some kind of secret sauce quality or trait that makes them successful. And I think the secret sauce is different for everybody, but it, from your experience, both being a writer and being around so many other authors and writers, is there something that you've seen in those that are successful that you could share with our viewers? Well, really, I think it's pretty basic. Read, 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 which is what mm -hmm. you do in an MFA program, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And write. I mean, I actually right now I'm typing up my very first novel that Holiday House gave me the rights back. It was published in 2000. It's called a pebble and a pen. And the nice thing about it is as I read, there was no digital copy when I, this book was created. I'm finding out, man, I wasn't a very good writer back then. How did this ever get published? But they thought it was good, nah. So, you know, but it just shows you, that you know, it shows me that what writing almost every day can do to help develop your skills. It's like any other discipline with, you know, I play the harp. So it's like every day, even if it's only 10 minutes, I sit down and play my harp. It will help me continue to have that finger motion that I need and keep the music in my head. And it's the same 
with writing, you, you need to write almost every day, even if it's only for 30 minutes. It puts your mind in the process, and that's really important. And sometimes the muddle that you think it is will will have a good idea for something else later. That's what I've noticed. Right. Just keeping that's, a writing journal. Most of it I'll never let see the light of day again. But when you get back to it, if there's something in there that sparks your memory or gives you a bit of creativity, that's what you're going for. So That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, is there any, I mean, I feel like you've given a lot of great advice, so we might have already covered this, but is there any overarching advice that you would give that you maybe you wish that your younger self would have known as a writer? Well, if you want to write for children, I definitely encourage everyone to join the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators mm-hmm. because that's a wonderful community of friends and they offer all kinds of workshops, um, conferences, national conferences, regional conferences, online workshops now, and it will help you grow as a children's writer. And so you will also avoid some of the mistakes. Because one thing about being a children's writer is many people come up to me, oh, I've always wanted to write this book. I could do this. How do I find my illustrator? And I always have to say, no, you do not find your illustrator unless you are the illustrator. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, those kinds of just general knowledge is all there. If you seek out SCBWI, as we call it, and then also you can make some lifelong friends if you're into that genre. And then also I encourage anyone who has the finances and the time to earn an MFA. It will change your life and also give you, again, a community of people. I mean, I have two or three people now that are like my beta readers. And one is not from my MFA program, but, you know, the other ones are. So that's really important to me to have people that I know will be very honest with me. And also our, like my friend Lisa Lenzo, she's won numerous awards for her books. So she's a very well-published writer too. Hmm. So community. Yeah, you need community. And that's what this show is about. It's writing is a solitary process, but it doesn't mean that you're always solitary and you shouldn't be. I think you need, shouldn't be. You need other people's input. Absolutely. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, what can we do to, since this is about community, what can we do to connect with your community? What can we do to support you? Well, if any of my books sound good, please buy a copy. And especially if you like the book to re- make reviews and put mm-hmm. them up on Amazon and Goodreads. That's so important. I don't think, people understand how much that can affect an author to have numerous reviews. Um, So I, I mean, that's something I try to do for authors is review their books. Even if it's just one sentence, it makes a difference and not, and you, it's really easy to think, "Mm, Oh, you know, she's a famous author. Lots of people review her book, but I was actually talking with um, Eileen Spinelli, Jerry Spinelli's wife. And she was like, you know, this book doesn't have any reviews yet. I'm like, okay, I'll go review it for you. So, I mean, we have to remember that just because someone's published numerous books and has a name out there, people don't always take time to review books. So it's important to do that. Help each other that way. Yeah, absolutely. If you find her her, uh, interview interesting, we'll definitely have notes there at the bottom for you to take a look at her books. Um, And I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. I knew we'd have a, a whole... A whole plethora of good information from you. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you. And to our wordsmiths, thanks for tuning in, tuning it up, and right on. Can you see ways to improve your writing process already? Thanks for joining us on this excellent episode of Am I Right? 
For more information about the podcast, guests, or upcoming episodes, follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Right on, Word Wizards!